Welcome to Genius Leadership Overcoming Everything podcast. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighter mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders about their rollercoaster ride to leading from their zone of genius. If you find the show valuable, could you do me a favor? Rate and review the podcast. Share it with your network so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. And for now, let's take the ride together. Dear Genius Leader, welcome to another episode of this show. Today, we're going to talk about depression and burnout. And we're diving deep into this topic, sharing a very personal experience of my guest, Daniel Ferenstrand, about this topic. Daniel is an executive coach in communications and keynote speaker. He has gone through careers of acting on a theater stage from early on in his teenagers to drumming in bands to managing backstages for biggest performers in Sweden to being a technical and administrative director for a French theater to now being a coach for the others and standing on the stage again, but now with learning material instead of entertainment. Daniel himself has been through clinical depressions twice and lived with anxiety for over a decade of his life. And he shares how it is to be a high performer, managing a company, managing other things in his life with this luggage of depression and anxiety. We also talk about us all having personal relationship with depression. And by all, Daniel means that either we go through that through our own experience or we have someone around us who suffers from it. And I think if you think about depression from that point of view, it opens up to more curiosity. At least I hope so. It really shows you that it's the topic that we all need to understand better and we're all part of it, directly or indirectly. And because of that, we can all be a part of the solution. We can all be part of help for ourselves or for someone else. So I hope this really gives you permission to dive into this topic deeper. And it also gives you some thoughts and some tools to make this journey a bit easier, to make it a bit less scary, less dark, because there is hope. There's always hope on the other side. And that's what we want to bring with this topic or with this conversation. We also discuss the dysfunctional patterns with Daniel and want you to really take it away and to understand that any dysfunctional pattern that you might have nowadays, that you might be annoyed with, that you might be dissatisfied with, and so on, all those patterns have served you in the past. And I can't explain you enough how permission-giving and how relieving that insight can be. I've seen it from several of my clients when we discuss some of their behaviors that they want to change and they start being annoyed with themselves. Why can't I change that thing? Why is it so difficult for me? And it's so important to understand that, hey, this behavior comes from some survival mechanism of yours. And when you think about it from that perspective, that this behavior, this pattern actually served you somewhere earlier on in your life, that really gives you this permission and it really helps you to normalize this behavior and you do it not to think okay yeah it was it has some function so let's just roll with it no it is for the sake of rewiring that habit in a sustainable way without understanding it in depth you won't be able to rewire it and that's why it's important to do that so pay attention to that part of the conversation about the dysfunctional pattern We also discuss what you could do when you see someone around you suffering from depression and how silencing the issue as an observer is one of those worst things that we can do for people around ourselves. It is important to remind ourselves that just because we bring up some mental health issues, it doesn't mean that the person who we're talking to will go and jump off the bridge. But if we avoid this discussing the elephant in the room, this is what really makes people feel more lonely, more misunderstood, and really does not bring any help to them. So, as I said, that might be a heavy conversation, but at the same time, we want to give you hope through it and want you to find some practical, 
piece of advice for yourself to take with you, be it for your own sake or for you to help someone around yourself. Let's just keep building a sustainable society together. And as always, it starts with you. So look what you can take from this conversation for yourself. Enjoy it and see you on the other side. Hey, Daniel, I'm so pumped to have you here as a guest today. Hello. Yes, exciting. And Mm -hmm. a little bit nervous, I must say. I've been on stage in a professional, semi-professional capacity since I was 10. (laughs) Um, So I'm kind of used to both cameras and and stages. But this is different because I've never talked about this in public before in my life. And um, I'm 45, so it's about time. Uh, yeah. It's a very cliffhanger introduction there, huh? <laughs> it is, it is. And it's an important topic for today mm. that yeah. we, we need to discuss. That you, I'm very grateful that you're actually showing up and talking about it with me today. So well, thanks for inviting before me. Before we, always, you know that I've been willing to get you on, on the show for, for several months. We just were figuring out what exactly we want to talk about because we talk on a weekly basis and we talk about yeah. so many things that it's hard to pick out what the hell do we do out of that in 45 <laughs> 50 minutes <laughs> Let's i know the yeah we will i have to talk really quickly clearly as well please. as always as always yeah <laughs> all right before we kick off with a topic that you have never talked about before publicly i'll ask you a general question that i ask every guest of mine when you hear the mm-hmm. word sustainable business performance what comes to your mind sustainability is about something that's that's the only thing that can work long term right so i believe it's about what works for business, but what works for us as well. And I'd say the only sustainable way forward is for us, is for us to, to show empathy to ourselves and to others. I mean, for me, even the definition of success is about, so like fusing the two sides of us, which, is, which would be the intellectual side and the empathetic side and to be in contact with our emotions and our emotional side and our intellectual side as well. We need our intellect to deal with our emotions and our emotions to deal with the other world of, of the intellect and performance. And I've had the, the privilege of being in, 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 in the one world for, for, for a few decades, starting at university that we'll talk about my previous, my experience of, of depression and, and burnout from university and onwards. But the other side is, is empathy and coming into contact with our feelings. That's also an, an important part of being us. For me, that's the definition of success. Two sides, fuse them together. That's it. And for, for leadership, it's, I mean, leadership is about practicing what we preach and setting a good example, right? And so we have to be open about our own shortcomings. And when we discuss why? this, you know, I'll, I'll just I'll interrupt you yeah, quickly here. Why yeah. is that a part of the equation here? Because we're human, and because we have to lead by example, and we have to show that we're human. And 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 what better way to lead by example than than using personal experience, right? Now, talking about personal experience, we all have personal experience of depression, either ourselves or someone close to us, right? So. The statistics show that's like one in four men, one in three women in any given lifetime. That's what the statistics say, right? Now, for me, it's a continuum. It's it's like stress on the one side. That's the sort of light part of it. And it goes into sort of anxiety, depression, burnout, and ultimately and, and, and tragically suicide when it goes so far that we, we, we choose to end our lives, right? And we're going to go that far today and talk about every single part of that continuum, right? Because it is time. And I, the reason that I was, that I questioned talking about this is because there's an underlying dysfunctional assumption that we make ourselves more vulnerable by opening ourselves up to personal issue, right? And if we open ourselves up and give personal details about us and our own experiences, we have an assumption that people will use it against us and attack us, right? Now, my experience is, and I've been talking about depression and anxiety since my early twenties, because I like probably experienced it for more or less my entire life looking back. But it basically, you know, it became unsustainable in my 20s. And I've been very open about it and about medication and about depression. And people have then opened themselves up to me. And I've been viewed as viewed as stronger, not weaker because of it. I've never once been under attack, right? Now, if we open ourselves up and tell us, tell people or tell the world about our experiences and, and a potential employer or a potential client or a potential friend or a potential loved one chooses to attack us, do we really want to cross those bridges anyway? We have to be prepared to burn some bridges in life. I'm not interested in walking over them. If you can't see this as an asset, then I believe you to be wrong. And we're not going to get on well anyway. Now, 
in America, apparently, you know, you know, you write, you're supposed to write on your curriculum vitae if you've been through bankruptcy. It's seen as an asset. In Sweden, we hide it because I live in Sweden, but I'm from England originally. Moved to, moved to Sweden when I was 11, right? And so we we put that bankruptcy because it, it's so expensive to buy that experience, right? And it costs mm-hmm. in money and in personal pain. Why should we not put burnout on our curriculum vitae as well? It's a massive asset if we can learn from it and use it and develop ourselves through it and then develop others, which is what leadership's about, developing people and practices. And, and I have the privilege of working with those questions nowadays. That was the long answer to your question and a few others it, as well. Exactly. Yeah. You already touched on some of the topics we're going to be yeah. talking about in the in the coming hour or so. And let's let's just draw back a bit. You mentioned that you have been having the depression and the burnouts. Uh, and actually, this depression, as you said, you've, you've been in that state, you know, different, on different stages of it for quite a long time. And yeah. the burnouts you've had two mm. before. Y- yeah. One massive and one minor. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So let's talk about them. Let's take the first yeah. one chronologically. Okay. So not by yeah. size. Yes. What and brought that- you to that? What was the sim, what were the symptoms? How did you realize that you're in that state? And then we'll let's talk about the journey out of that. So that's, yeah, the backdrop of that was depression, but we'll talk about that a bit later in my student years. But my first job in life, we started a rhetoric bureau, three of us in 2002. And um, in 2005, one day I was supposed to talk to the guy who was helping us with with finances. And I remember calling him, Philip, one morning due to have a meeting with him. And I just, I just said, I, um, I could not get the words out of my mouth. I was stuttering. I was feeling absolutely awful. Now, the months leading up to this, I'd woken up at five in the morning going, <gasps> marketing, 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 get to work, get the money in, get more money in rolling. It was a promising business idea, but we didn't know what we were doing when it came to networking and marketing. We were brilliant at rhetoric, awful at marketing and networking, right? And I was fighting a losing battle. I was scraping, a sc- I was going, you know, every single day for months at a time and then you know the morning wake-ups i still didn't realize i just wasn't susceptible to the warning signs right and then that day i i could not i couldn't get to work i got i developed what what we would call clinical anxiety or or, um, pathological anxiety now if i describe that to you for those of you who haven't experienced it for me it's like wanting to crawl out of your own skin it's an unbearable feeling of suffering starts the minute you wake up in the morning like a face slap and it continues till you finally go off to sleep in the evening now thank goodness for me i i my body reacts with feeling more tired when when i'm stressed so i always sleep more when i'm not feeling that good otherwise many people it affects the sleep the other way around and they can't get to sleep and so you can't really you know get back on track ever because you never get the, the, the rest peace of mind or body right so it's like wanting to crawl out your own skin. It's like being bereaved of a loved one, but without any death involved, right? It's like a constant feeling of nervousness without having to perform anything. And it gets to the stage. You, uh, yeah. Post, 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 post. So many golden nuggets here. I want to go deeper into them. What you said yes. about the grieving hmm. the loss of loved one without uh, any death. Yeah. Can you give an example or what do you mean by that? It just feels like someone's died that you love. It's mm. that sorrow, constant mm. sorrow. And, Is and, that the past and, you? Oh, my goodness, I've no idea. That's a, I don't know. Mm. Is that the past me? That, I pause on that one. I'll have to get back mm. to you on that. But like, even small tasks become mammoth. It's like I remember looking at the washing up in the kitchen thinking, I cannot handle that pile of dirty dishes. Mm. And today I just walk through it. It's no probs, you know, because I suppose the new me basically started in 2014. but. Before that, it was a number of years of one minor, but the major burnout, that was in 2005. And I'd realized I needed some kind of help. I, in that state, you don't get therapy because you're not susceptible to it. So I was put on a, a combination dose of, of medication. And that after a few weeks, it actually started to take the top of that anxiety. But during that first period of, uh, I don't know whether it was a month or more, it felt like an eternity. I remember, and this is the stinger, this is, this is probably one of the most difficult things I'll ever talk about. I have to talk about it. I went out on the balcony, sixth floor. I remember looking down at the pavement below, six floors below me. And I've never been suicidal in my life. And I wasn't then either. But I remember looking down thinking, I understand why people would jump. The first time in my life, I really understood the mechanisms behind suicide. Right? 
because that kind of that amount of suffering it's absolutely horrifically awful awful thing to be through right and you've pushed yourself to it through trying to like overperform for for me for decades really so what about when we talk about suicide i think you know we end up going into parrot mode a lot of the time saying things that other people have said that turn out to be absolutely horrifically wrong i think when people say it's selfish now i don't think that's correct at all i believe the one thing from my perspective i can understand people ending their lives to end the suffering the other thing is you just think well think about everyone you leave behind yes but people feel that they are a burden when they choose to, to end their lives they don't choose like this they plan it for ages they plan it and the the degree of desperation for a human being to be in to, to get there it's it's horrific and they're, they're thinking but i'm just a burden to everybody it'd be better the world will be better off without me that's what they truly believe now i'm glad that i have never been there personally but uh, it was scary to get that insight of of looking down on that balcony it's one of those aha moments in life you know and um yeah how did so that that's change it. you that that moment on the balcony and that realization yeah well i mean in general that period yeah that period in life i mean that that experience i think i speak for most people when we talk about burnout coming out the other side of depression and and and, and burnout is our health means everything everything else is so it's 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 rather unimportant in comparison right so we want to feel better and that's it we'll do anything to get there and we also our priorities change forevermore that's the one thing and and, and the physical side of it i mean we we may never regain the sort of cognitive sharpness that we had before i mean i i spent 15 years of my life with what i call teflon mind i it would non stick to a certain extent certain amount of stimuli then poof it's gone or um, i describe it as cotton sometimes cotton wool it's like a fluffy filter can't really i i used to be relatively sharp person and then i kind of lost it for 15 years i wasn't as sharp now since march of this year i've been actively thinking a lot more creating my own keynote material amongst other things when you and i got to know each other and i found a new not only have i regained that sharpness i've gained another one or two gears of it so that's a real shift there so that does give hope that we can recuperate right but it's a part of developing sustainably so that couple of the things that 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 really changed me and the th- another thing is that i went to a support group for people who burn out and the pe- person who'd been on sick leave the shortest time had been on for a year and it was rather a hopeless kind of set of circumstances that i felt it didn't really help me apart from not feeling alone and they were all trying to do um try working part time at their old em- places employment now i realized we got rid of the office we shut down the bureau sold all the furniture managed to make a plus minus zero result shut it down right but um, and my way back was it was that autumn i i went to a friend who has a local nightclub and i said i need this is what i've been through i need something simple to do so i had a seven year degree in strategic communication three years of managing and running a company and i i said i want to do the dishes and i want to do some cleaning which i started doing and i did that for a few months and concrete job nothing to do with your old job because it's about not only the old job it's about us as well but the old job is part of it the psychosocial work environment is part of it definitely it's also about how we handle it so we change as many factors as possible so i started cleaning and doing the washing up four hours a day i was really chuffed that i could even manage that because we don't believe in ourselves anymore we can't handle we can't handle simple things like doing the washing up at home right and then i ended up doing a bit of bar djing and then that autumn i got offered the monologue so i got offered a theater monologue that was written that was it was a heavy monologue about alcohol abuse and it's like my first ever monologue and my first ever major role on the stage and i just said yes rehearsed it premiered it and i've done i i don't know i was i was out for years doing it i've done enough gigs to have lost count but probably somewhere in the range of 100 or something and so that was my way back but that was really about just letting go of these of these um preconceptions of what you know success or you know career or anything means just not worrying about what other people care because our health physical and men- mental without that intact nothing else matters right the basics there are so many points here that I would like to again emphasize first of mm-hmm. all a question from feeling overwhelmed by seeing a pile of dishes at home to go mm. to a friend who owns a nine club and ask him to do the dishes there. Yeah. Explain this transition and, and what has shifted there? What was the difference between that pile of dishes at home and in the nightclub 
Well, one of the differences is that the, the, the combination of, 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 of um, medication that I was on had alleviated the anxiety. Mm. Now, my father once described that, my biological father. He said it, it's like you have this free-floating anxiety and it hooks onto something. So it could be the washing up or it could be washing the car, whatever. It's the free-floating anxiety that's the real issue, not what it hooks up on, right? But the medication for me was a way to, to get over that. Now, the initial and, and to sort of get back sort of like physically and mentally slightly on track. And then I just needed to get out. I needed to feel a sense of achievement again, because we are in, in relation to that. And I suppose underlying, I've had a basic assumption in life. I mean, you look at my curriculum vitae, I've done loads of stuff. Why? Because I have basically an underlying assumption that my value was in what I do, not who I was. Right. And it still is to a certain extent, but I'm working on it. To get to the point in life where you love yourself, I mean, I'd say I do now and I'm 45. I didn't in 2005 when I went through the burnout. I started working on myself properly in 2014 when I, that was the real change in my life when I was expecting, we were expecting the first child of my wife at the time. And um, so it was a new job, which was not touring anymore because I did event management for a number of years. So, and, and, and the monologue and other things, music as well, stopped touring got a flat, got headhunted to a managerial position within the performing arts, was going to become a father. And I remember her saying to me, you need to get your, you need to get your shit together. You need to, you need therapy. And I went and I found a therapist that with a psychodynamic approach. And I had the immense privilege to look back on my life and understand what coping mechanisms I developed and how they become dysfunctional and how I kind of had like, to kind of break that pattern because the same as academics, you know, academics have children who become academics who have children who become academics. The same with alcohol addiction, the same with so many behavioral patterns, nature and nurture. It doesn't matter. You get most, most of the time, get it both from your parents anyway. Right. Yeah. And, and to look at that and think, well, this is not going to continue to the next generation. And for me, of course, passing some things on to my children and not other things is, is of, of immense importance to me. So I look back and I started working on myself and I've never stopped. And, and for me, it was important to know the why, like could cognitive behavioral approach. That's more like the symptoms, like changing the, the how we do things more to simplify. They all get mixed, of course, today and today in psychology, but the, the psychodynamic dynamic approach of actually understanding the why for me was very important. And I realized that can you, it was a can basic... Can you explain what psychodynamic uh, approach is to those who are maybe not well, familiar with that? I'm, I'm only a hobby psychologist. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a communications guy, really, theoretically. But it's, it's more like looking at our childhood and the childhood patterns and the, and, and the coping mechanisms or defense mechanisms that, that, that we develop them that become dysfunctional. Kind of looking back, a retrospective. Mm -hmm. Whereas okay. cognitive behavioral therapy is about sort of like trying to handle the, the symptoms of the, the dysfunctional behavioral patterns as of now and changing them in the now like oh i don't like walking out um, um in in large groups of people so you start with a, a small group and then and you grow it larger and larger we don't look into why why did it develop that in the first place but really it they they go into each other in modern psychology as a mix of course usually but to, to you know hey genius leader i'm chiming in here quickly to ask you to do one thing for me if you're enjoying this episode, share it with one person who you think would find it valuable as well. Let's spread the goodness together so that more people can play within their zone of genius. I want to yeah. emphasize one thing that you said right now. Uh, and it was like in the process, but you talked about that any dysfunctional pattern yeah. has served us at some point in life. Sure. And it I makes had sense this conversation at the time. when one of my clients uh, just this week where, when we discuss, like, don't put judgment, try to understand why, because some, sometimes we beat ourselves up, like how stupid it is, how silly it is, and so on and so forth, or, or yeah. we beat ourselves up that it takes ages to actually like, repattern ourselves, reprogram those patterns. Yeah. And I said, just try to understand how on earth could it serve you? Which point in, in life was that having a purpose? And understanding that, yeah. I see a lot of relief usually in my clients when they just really mm. drop their shoulders and they just have this deep breath out and like, <sighs> okay. And then it's so much easier to work with rewiring yourself because you understand, okay, there was nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with me. There was nothing wrong then when this pattern was created. This was my coping mechanisms at that mechanism at that point. So I, I really want to emphasize that because yeah. it's a very important practice, understanding why is it so? 
why did yeah. I create this pattern and all this behavior? And yeah. more often than not, it's not stupidity of yours. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's, it makes perfect sense. And also, it's like playing a furrow in a field, right? All the water converges there, and then and then they, it continues to converge, and it makes that furrow even deeper and deeper constantly, or, or a path in the woods. It makes total sense. We're, we're programmed to save energy, right? So, of course, we'll use the path and not go straight out through the bush. Obviously, you know, so we have to do ourselves, you know, give ourselves some cred then. It's a totally natural thing to, to revert into saving and into energy saving mode to do the things that we've done before. And they were functional once. They made sense once, right? That's it. And it is, it is difficult and it takes time. And I said, I've really started actively working on myself in 2014. Mm. And it's taken, it's, it's taken years and it's a learning. I mean, we, we learn for as long as we live, I think. And when we stop learning, we start dying. That's my perspective. Mm. You know, it's a continuous thing that we have to sort of, you know, work on and different phases in life throw different things at us. And you know we're all served. To, yeah, I want to emphasize or one thing for the for the context. You're so, talking about the 2014 that you started actually uh, working on yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. First burnout and the first yeah. depression dip has been in '96. Yes. So the first no, the first burnout years or no, the first burnout was 2005. The first depression was when I started depression. studying in 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 when I was 20, roughly in '96. So I went. I started university in Uppsala. And um, I was feeling tired, and I went to see a doctor of mine, a fantastic guy called Anders Vanning, and he did, they did all the screening, the vital signs and all that, and asked me about, you know, my alcohol consumption and the general life patterns. And, and, and that turned out nothing. And then he, he just looked at me and he said, I'm going to prescribe you with, with a dose of antidepressants. And I said, no, 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 I'm not depressed. You know, no, I'm fine. I'm not depressed. And he said, well, I, I believe that this, this would just try it and it can help you. So I'm rather anti this. I've heard so much about it. And he said, look, he looked at me. He said, right. If I was to tell you as your doctor that you have a heart condition that you will have for the rest of your life and you need medication for the rest of your life, what would you say? I'd say, yeah, sure, doc. I, you know, your word is my command. I believe you. I believe science. Sure. He said, why is it so different when it comes to this kind of problem and this kind of medication? I had no answer. I went on it and. The initial weeks on antidepressants, for those of you who've never been on them, can be absolutely horrific because they, it's quite difficult. It's like initial uh, side effects. That I was under a blanket for a couple of weeks and I was supported by friends who came around and visited. And, and I remember I never used to work up, wake up early in the morning. I woke up very early one morning. I went for a walk and I lived in central Uppsala. I, I remember walking by the castle. I remember by, by exactly where I stood. When I saw, I realized I was seeing the world in 3D and color. I thought, shit, the world's in 3D and color. And, and so you slowly go downhill. You don't notice you're going down. And then, but then, you know, and suddenly it becomes unsustainable. Point where I cannot, it has something has to be done. I didn't even realize that was what had to be done. And then I sort of like look around. And I say, shit. Yeah. Okay. They're powerful things. And yes, we can use them. And yeah, he was right. And thank you very much for that. And then I went through years of life trying different kinds. It never really totally worked for me because, of course, I'd never dealt with the cause. I'd never dealt with the, the sh my baggage, my personal shit. And, and that, you know, it, it will continue to surface if we don't sort of like deal with it. Mm. Have, I, have I got it all sussed? No, probably never will. But that's part of life. You know, we're never totally on top of everything, but enough, you know, good enough. What's so, the point so that, of that? Because this is a discussion I have quite often. Like, why, like uh, when am I done or... What's the yeah. point of doing it if, we, if we're never done and those kind of things? What would you say to that? It, 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 how far have you come to this point? What's life like now? And what's like, what was life like then? Do you want to backtrack? Do you want to be there? Hell no. Absolutely not. This moment of my life, this, this period of my life has been the best up to this moment in my life, right? Uh, no. It's, it's finished. It's not finished. It's not one of those things, you know. It, even painting a house, you you end up having to repaint it every now and again, you know, but don't let it rot. I mean, it's, it's, you know, but when I was in my twenties, I started sharing with people. And as I said, I've heard so many stories from people about of personal anxiety and depression and friends and loved ones and, and personal alcohol addiction and, and drug abuse and sexual violence and, and sexual abuse or abusing, you know, that, that stories go on and on because when we start opening ourselves, other people start opening ourselves. 
And that's my, yeah. I want to pause here, just a spontaneous thought listening to you. Could it be that it's so difficult for us to open sometimes for many of us because we're afraid of others opening? So it's not the pure fact of vulnerability that is scary. Yes. That it's not only us sharing our things, but more that we'll need to hold space for the others then as the response. Yeah, I'm sure you have a point there. I haven't thought of that, but absolutely. I mean, (laughs) it's no, but definitely because we do know, and I mean, intuition is a powerful thing. I'd say intuition is an aggregate of our past experiences, part of it. You know, another part is the analysis of nonverbal communication, but the sort of like the aggregate of past experience that we use on a subconscious level. So on some level, we know that opening ourselves might open the floodgates to others. We probably know that. So yes, it is a difficult thing to handle. I mean, you and I know, I mean, we've coached people, right? We know what it's like to coach people. It takes quite a lot. It's a beautiful learning experience as well. It's kind of like a privilege to like charge people to, to learn stuff yourself, but, and see them develop. But it, it is, yeah, it is a challenge and it is a responsibility. So sure. I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right there. Yeah. That's just an interesting thought that I never thought about that part of it. You know, it's, I always have talked about that. It's, it's sometimes scary to be vulnerable because you don't know what you exactly you're opening on your own side. You don't know whether you can handle that. But listening to you, I just thought there's also the other part of it that we might have this subconscious understanding that, okay, that my opening will actually open the others. And I'm not (laughs) sure I can handle that. Yeah. On top of all my stuff that I'm opening up about. Sure, sure. And and people are quite busy. I mean, you know, in general, they're quite busy with themselves. Like how many people are good at hand to heart? How many good at how many of us are good at phoning people up or sending messages saying, Hi, I thought of you. How are you doing? People are in general bad at that, really bad. It's not like I don't think of other people, it's just they don't can't get their shit together when it really, you know, when it boils down to it. Talking about get your shit together, that's one of the things that if we're talking about advice to never give, here is is don't get don't ever sell tell someone with depression or anxiety to get your shit together or day. I've heard that. And um it's the worst possible advice you could give because if it was a tap, believe me, we'd have turned it off. If it was a button and the on off button, we would turn it on to permanent off. It's nothing we want to go through. We cannot turn it off. So don't tell us to. That's disrespectful mm. and that's downright stupid. Don't do it. You know, that'd be one thing I'd be really, really, you know, if you're going to try and help, then help by listening and accepting and, and, and trying to understand, right? Because let's it's get difficult. Into the, let's first go through your uh, burnout 2005 and then we actually go yeah. to. The suggestions from your experience, what can someone who is going through that do or someone who is experienced someone else around them going through that? So let's first go through like what what brought you to that burnout in 2005? Okay. Why did you roll back down again after that depression in 96? Uh, Yeah, well, depression, but it was never sort of pathological anxiety. You see, and I continued to have the basic assumption that I was through producing and not through being. I had no self value in myself, really. It was in what I did. So I was in, uh, I was on, I, I've been on, I think, eight boards of directors, you know, sororities, this, that, and the other. I was in, I think, I don't know, three, four, five bands at the same time. I was in the recording studio. I was on stage. I was full time student. I was in sororities. I was on boards of directors simultaneously. I was free one, two evenings a month in and out of relationships at the same time, you know, loads of friends, lo- just because I couldn't be with myself. You know, the time on my own was, it was only 2014 that I started wanting to be with myself, really. How was but, it before? So, what, what, what were the feelings when you would suddenly be alone with yourself? What, what was Well, pressure, then? pressure felt low. I felt pressured. I had to, I had to do stuff. I was like, I'd try and write music and it'd be like, oh, but I have to record it as well. I have to do something of it. I can't just enjoy the flow of just, just playing the, playing the drums or the guitar or something, messing around. I have to like record it and produce it and do something with it. So it was massive, like pressure and not relaxation, not enjoyment. So I had that basic underlying dysfunctional assumption, right? And that followed me and, and I was pushing myself harder and harder and harder. And I continued to push myself and, you know, and so that was the backdrop. And I'd say to get yourself to burn out, it takes years and it takes a long time to get yourself out of it as well, you know? And, and for me, I didn't, I didn't see the, the warning signs. Didn't see the warning signs. Well, the way I, I looked at myself, using myself for a start, but that's a difficult one. You don't just look at yourself in the mirror and think, oh, you have d- dysfunctional assumptions regarding your own <laughs> behavior. That'd be magical. That'd be a magic mirror, wouldn't it? But 
it, it's about sort of like waking up at five in the morning and, and not enjoying things and, and, you know, not wanting to socialize. I'm an incredibly extrovert person, as you know, it's difficult to shut me up, you know? And yet I was like avoiding things. I, you know, I had the business, business cards in my inner pocket and, and, and people would ask, Oh, what do you do for a living? And I'd, I'd go into automatic mode. Yeah. Consultations and blah, 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 texts and blah, 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 members of parliament, blah, 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 business leaders, blah. And I felt myself going, going on autopilot. And I remember once I, I started toying with the idea of saying I'm a cleaner because then you don't get any extras. You don't get any. They're like, oh, they don't. People, you know, in general, don't go. Oh, interesting. Tell me more. They're kind of like, oh, uncomfortable. Whether oh, that's exciting. Consultancy. And wow, you've written speeches for those guys. And wow, not in not. I mean, in general, not names, of course. But we work for big pharma and we work for members of parliament. We work for big business leaders. So it was, it was exciting stuff. But never lucrative enough to sort of lay back, which it never is the first few years, you know, which we know later on in life when we help others develop businesses, but we don't know that back then. It's kind of like, ah, why are we, ah? So there was a backdrop of, of, of unsustainable self-leadership and leadership and, and, and inexperience and then just pushing and pushing and, and not seeing the warning signs. So, um, learning the warning signs is one thing. And we can, we can learn from our own mistakes. We can also learn from other people's mistakes. That's a, that's great because there are so many of them. There are so many of them if we start looking at other people's mistakes as well. You know, the scope for learning is massive. Whereas if we just limit ourselves to our own mistakes, then, you know, it's going to be. But then another thing, I would say no pain, no gain. And, and it sounds like a, one of those empty things people just say. But for me, it's really been true. I mean, there's a massive learning potential in, in going through this kind of stuff. Definitely. So that's, so that's the, that. Uh, yeah. the deepest or where was the rock bottom there in 2005? Well, that was that month of clinical was of, of of anxiety. Then that, that was it. And so there then, was no like yeah. one particular moment when you were like looked at yourself in the mirror or something. There was this period, right? No, it was a period, and it was well. I'm in the balcony experience. I mean, there are a few pivotal experiences: the 3D and color experience that I told you about, the balcony experience, the phone call. I remember when I sort of realized, as I told you, the stuttering. There's those, you know. I, I'm, yeah. I'm asking about that to make it clear that it's. Quite often in those stories, we actually hear about this one pivotal moment when, you know, a yeah. person looks at themselves in the mirror and like, who is this person? Or no. they look at, I don't know, a pile of unwashed dishes and feel this anxiety and they think, I don't want to feel like that anymore, ever. And since mm. then, the story kind of goes up, 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 up. And yeah. here I just want to emphasize, it can be smaller things. And, and it goes it up and down. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a continuum and it, and then I semi burnt out again years later. And, and it's not, it's not, that's not failure. I mean, it's, mm. you know, you, we don't develop like this. It's not liner. It's not, you know, it's mm. up and down and it, things happen and we have to, and, and just because we, 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 we're moving forwards, we're, we're, you know, and then suddenly we have a backlash. That doesn't mean to say we failed. That's part of development. And so, no, there isn't a pivotal moment. No, it weren't, weren't quick fixes. No, you know, medication never really worked for me. I haven't been on anything since 2014 because I never really got it to work. There are no quick fixes. But I think it's important to, to know that, as you say, it can be the ups and downs and the ins and outs. Mm. And, but looking from a broader perspective, you know, taking a few steps back and looking at it, looking at it it's, mm. you see a change in quality of life. How do you feel? What is your life like? Can you give that, examples? Well, like being able to be with myself. Or, I mean, when we have children, we learn a lot about priorities as well because half the stuff we thought we should be doing, we don't have a chance. You know, we have the chance of a snowball in hell to get all that stuff done on the to-do list when we have kiddos. You know, I have two. They're now five and seven. And, it's you know, it's one of those things. It's, yeah, that's, I, I would say that, I mean, that's another, there was a number of things that, happened simultaneously i mean stopping my old rock and roll lifestyle and and, and the freelancing and the and the, the starting the employment and the having children and a lot of things and usually many things happen at once right that's that's the way things work it so was was that an answer to your question i would say so let's yeah. go into your learnings from from that whole experience and yeah first maybe to the people who are maybe recognizing your themselves in your story right now yeah, yeah. watching us yeah. and thinking what kind of hope can you give them what kind of pieces of advice on a practical level and then we can yep. go into those who experience that in in their circles 
Well, I mean, for for a start, it's not because you're lazy and you don't care. Usually, it's, it it happens to the people who care a lot. It's like my my friend Lena Nordqvist said, "Du måste brinna för att bli utbränd." You have to you have to ignite to burn. You have to you have to you know be passionate about things. And the people who are ambitious and who are driven, right? Women more than men. Um, between people between thirty and forty because they have kids as well. And traditionally, the women are the people with the double jobs because they have to do most of the work at home. Still, even in Sweden today, still not total equality yet. No, mm. far to go. So it's not because you know it. it we're ambitious, hardworking. That that's the one thing, and it and it takes a, a time to get yourself in there. So it's going to take time to get out, and you can never handle it alone. So you know, we need to ask help and we need to talk about it. Because you know, really, I mean, depression is an illness that, if untreated, will kill. We've all lost brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, mothers and fathers to this disease, and we really have to start talking about it and taking it seriously. When it comes to our own leadership of ourselves, or whether we're leaders in organisations or leaders of society, we have to start talking about it, sharing the stories, discussing how we can handle it, because it's as. as I, I don't know whether I said that in the beginning or just think thought I said it about the the billions of taxpayers' dollars and private equity dollars lost every single year to this, and that's just measuring it in money, which I don't really want to do that more that, that much. I mean, how about measuring it in suffering? It just has to stop. We have to start talking about it. One in every four guys and one in every three girls, right, in a lifetime perspective personal experience of depression mm. so why why should we not be talking about it it's highly relevant for everybody mm. and um whether we're just into self-leadership or also leadership of others you know it's just one of those things we have to start talking about it and that's why even though i hesitated about actually doing this on camera for the very first time there wasn't a doubt in my mind that i have to that i have to we have to and i just like to say because i presume we're ending towards the end if you have any questions, you know, feel free to. Mm. The viewers can feel free to contact any of us, each of any of us, both of us, and talk about this. Our contact details. You're taking my on. job here, Daniel. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. So uh, now I, I really appreciate you talking about all these things because this is powerful experience that you're going through right now as well, and uh, I. That's why I also waited since I since I decided that I'll get you on the show. I've been waiting uh, because. <laughs> you are in that messy middle as we speak with a lot of things going on in your life oh, and the huge, huge transformation. And seeing yeah. you behind the scenes every week is is a very valuable experience, but that's that's what I was not sure. Like, Is it okay to bring you here and start talking about those things? Yeah. But just as you experienced in September this year, you had a moment when you thought, is this how living or to oh, live yeah. your life is? And I, I sent a message to, to you. Details. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, no, but I sent a message to you and said, it, until this, until this year of my life, I've never truly lived. That's a whole different life in our really, because my new experiences from this year is not part of the burnout, you know, and, and depression and anxiety. That was like that. The end of that chapter was, or the beginning of the end of that was 2014. But basically a teaser for that one would be, I changed from negative to positive mindset. I stopped looking back at my life, viewing it as a cost and started looking at experiences as investments, right? And that is really a redefining moment. We're defined by how we handle what we've been through, not what we've been through in itself. Yeah. It's our, our judgment or our perception of that stuff that really is our story, right? Not yeah, sure. Fact. And I, sure. I'm talking about that with quite some of my clients that when they say something, I'm, I'm saying like, okay, but if we take the fact as it is, it's actually just pure data. It's neutral. And it's up to you to make it to a negative or a positive. And we talk about sure. the characteristics of themselves, for example, when yeah. we're working on, working on their value definition, the exercise that I do with a lot of my clients, right? Mm. And they say, for example, when we talk about like, okay, what are you good at? What is actually bringing you pleasure out of those strength of yours? So mm. the combination of the two. And they would, let's say, give example, like I'm very attentive to the details. So it's good, but quite often it just really like makes me a disservice, you know, and it, it's annoying the hell out of yeah. me because I, I, I put, put too much attention to the details that don't, don't matter or whatever. Yeah. So that's the thing. And, and that's what I mean. Like, okay, the characteristic of yours in this matter or on this example, it's attention to details. That's neutral. 
And you can decide in which situations you want to pull it out as a strength. And you can define for yourself, put a framework. Like in those situations, in those contexts, it's become becomes a negative thing. And you, while, well, when you have defined that, when you're aware of that, you can just say like, okay, here, I don't need this tool out of my toolbox, the attention yep. to, to the detail tool. I need to pick something out, something else out of the toolbox because yep. this one will disserve me here. Yeah, I said the process of self-awareness, it's a, that's a lifelong one as well. But yeah, the seeing it as a toolbox is, is very powerful because you use different tools for different circumstances, right? And maybe different toolboxes depending on, you know. But yeah, definitely the way, And this yeah. is the power of coaching or mind-shifting the process with me because that's the platform where every single week you actually have to <laughs> practice using those tools that's and it. learning the, how they work, which what are the functions, what are the contexts in which you need to pull yeah. that tool out and actually get to practice it on the situations uh, in a safe environment. So this yeah. is very important to have that platform for yourself, that space where you can actually do that without feeling like, okay, that my whole career, my relationship with my partner or whatever depends on the success of this trial right now. So. Yeah, that's it. And I think also it's an ongoing process. I mean, as you call it, mind shifting is a powerful sort of like picture in there. But it's not, as you say, weekly, but it's about a continuous process that then it's opening, opening ourselves to, to, to changing and, it, and it's with us forevermore. For sure. It's with us forevermore and it's well worth the investment. It is not a cost. It is a true investment for life. And I, I, I hope everybody gets to experience it because it is fantastic. Yeah, we should all have Absolutely mind blowing material. Mm, really, truly. Yes. <laughs> So yes, that is, before shift. we wrap up, I actually want to ask or we'll go back to this uh, piece of advice to people who see someone oh. in their environment. As you said, every yeah. one of us actually have some personal relationship to, de to depression, to burnout, whether it's our personal experience or it's someone in our network or in our yeah. circle. So mm -hmm. when we see someone around us who is suffering, you said like, get your shit together is the worst advice you can give, yeah. right? What can we do to actually mess it up less? How are you? How can I help? Can we talk about it? You know, I mean, just be, think that, how would you like, how would you like other people to support you if you were in a situation that you can relate to? If you can't relate to dep depression, anxiety, think about something else. If you're into building, you know, how, what would I like? So I'd like someone to just come around and say, hi, do you want help putting that window up? Kind of the same thing, right? How? to show that we are there and to show that we care and that we support and don't judge because that's what we all need, you know? Many people are afraid of saying the wrong thing, making it worse, Yeah, uh, you know, getting the person yep. suicidal when they are maybe somewhere lighter on the spectrum mm. just because we come with the wrong question, with the wrong comment, no. with the wrong yeah. um, advice. No. What would you say to that fear? Yeah, the absolute worst thing you can do is be quiet and ignore it. That's it. You know, it's like people who've been through bereavement, the death of a loved one. They say it's the silence because people around them are silent because they don't say anything. What should I say? Oh, my goodness. Or I won't disturb them because they're so busy. And it turns out they're mm. sitting there in all their sorrows, totally alone because everyone's thinking the same thing. And, you know, I said in the beginning about people being relatively bad at taking that initiative. Just to be good at it instead. You know, that's a challenge. It's, it's not difficult friends and family for goodness sakes or someone that you know it's not difficult pick up the phone pop around don't worry whether it's not decorum to like just pop just do it you know people did that with for me and that and made a massive difference so yeah definitely the worst thing you can do is just do nothing it's powerful i think i hope yeah. that gives permission to you dear, dear genius leaders to to take that step whether it's if you're experiencing something like this, to ask for help, to start talking about it, whatever it is for you. Or if you see someone around you suffering, to take that first step and, and break the silence and stop ignoring that and really facing it and, and being vulnerable in that moment. Yeah. And the vulnerability is a very, very courageous thing to do. It takes bravery and courage to really step into that and saying, hey, I'm not sure I'm how to help you here in this moment, but I see you suffering and it hurts me. And I want to be here by your side for whatever you need me. Yeah. Daniel, to wrap up, we've already given quite a lot of pieces of advice, but if you would maybe try to summarize that into three pieces of advice, what would those be? Well, oh my goodness. That's a difficult one. I've said, I've, I've said so many things. I think, you know, 
talking about it, talking about things wouldn't make you more vulnerable. It, it, you'll be viewed as stronger and it will be appreciated. And silence is not an option. And there is a commonality in this. We all, we all have personal experience of this. This is not strange. It's not unusual. It's very common. And we all know the face of stress, depression, anxiety, burnout. We all know it. We all have personal tragical experiences of people around us who have also ended their lives. So it's not unknown material. I think they'd be the three major bullet points for today. And if you would give the one practical piece of advice or tip that some actionable step that genius leaders can try today. Okay. In general, it would be lead by setting an example, practice what you preach and try and just, that would be it really. That's the main point of leadership is, 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 is being, a, you know, trying to be a, a good example not just talking the talk, walking the walk, or thinking the thought first, which is the important first step of those three steps. And if you're only going to choose one, think the thought. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of talking goes on without the, the cognitive backup first. Mm -hmm. But but make sure we actually, you know, end up just, I mean, it's really, it sounds simple and it is very difficult because we have a tradition of management, not leadership in the world today. Even in Sweden today, we're still in management mode. Less management, more leadership. Anna, thanks so much for showing up. So thank you very much and, and sharing your experiences. If people want to find you, reach out with follow-up questions or work with you in, in any capacity, what would be the yep. way to go? Oh, you can yeah, LinkedIn. That's that'd be fine. My personal contact details are on there as well. You know, email address and even phone number at the moment still. So yeah, there you're warmly welcome to contact um, if you want to either of us, I suppose, to talk about issues like this, or we, you know, I do a bit of consultancy and other things as well. And we're, we're writing on a few bits that we'll be we'll talk about more, perhaps, you know, next beginning of next year or something. But yeah, there's, there's a lot on the go, but let's keep this ball rolling. We do need to. Thank yeah. you so much. And thanks genius leaders for tuning in. Thanks for having me, Anna. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Genius Leadership. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button to not miss an episode. And to help more people become even better leaders, rate and review our podcast and share it with your communities. For more conversations about living and leading from your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honest conversation about leading yourself and others. And it's my honor to be your guide in overcoming everything 